Well, welcome to Redeemer Church, everyone. I'm, I'm Pastor Tim, and I'm so glad to see you this morning. I want to share with you a psalm that spoke to my heart this week. Um, just a couple of different verses from Psalm 42. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked along the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sounds of great celebration. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Sometimes we find ourselves in this space that the psalm writer is in where we are more reflective on our faith than we are actively moving forward in it because we remember the mountaintop experiences and we feel as though we're living in the valleys. And as the psalmist expresses so vividly, he longs for that experience again. He talks about his heart breaking as he remembers. But what I love about what happens by verse 5 in Psalm 42 is that, why am I discouraged? He's questioning. Why is my heart so sad? He's questioning. Then he makes a decision. I will put my hope in God. A declarative statement. I am going to do this differently. I am going to put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. So often, a change in our perspective, a change in our faith is started by putting one foot forward, one step in front of the other, as we again step out in faith and move forward with Christ. Well, we are now in week two of a teaching series we're calling Forgotten Virtues. And throughout this series, we're looking at five different virtues that seem to have been forgotten in our culture today. Last week, we started the series by talking about honor and what it means to honor God in our lives. This week, we're going to turn to the topic of purity and what does it mean to have purity in our time and our culture today. And don't worry if you have a young one in worship, it's safe. It'll be okay because we're not talking about that kind of purity this morning. But we'll get there in just a minute. We're going to bounce around to a couple of different verses. We're going to look at some of Jesus' texts, some of Paul's epistle writings, and some of Peter's words as well to look at what it means to live in purity with a primary focus on what I used to call the 18-inch gap of salvation. I and mean, what that means is I, I used to say that people are, most people are 18 inches from being saved. I and mean, that's the average distance between your head and your heart. So today we're going to talk a lot about what it looks like to have purity of heart and purity of mind. In our day and culture today, it's hard to talk about purity. When it does, and if it ever does, and if it does, and when it does come up in conversation, all minds immediately drift to physical intimacy. Um, and while the sacredness of relationships is well within the realm of the forgotten virtue of purity, 
Purity is much more than restrained intimacy. And so before we go any farther this morning, I want to make one fact abundantly clear. This theological truth must be understood in order to have an honest conversation about purity. Are you ready? It's kind of the foundational point that we all have to understand first. To live a spiritually pure life does not mean living a sinless life. To live a spiritually pure life does not mean living a sinless life. Purity is not the same as sinlessness because we are all sinners, as Paul says. If the requirement for purity is sinlessness, no one could ever achieve spiritual purity. It's, uh, it's an unobtainable goal. So understanding that we are each in different places on God's path of spiritual growth, each recovering um, from the wounds that sin has inflicted on our lives, allows us a framework the framework that we need to have an honest conversation. What is purity then if not refraining from physical intimacy? Well, if we take a simple look at the word purity, uh, we see that pure is the English root word. Intimacy comes into conversation because we often tell our young folks there's some things that you need to wait until a certain point in your life to have or do, which is for good reason. But that's a conversation for another day and a whole sermon series in and of itself. But if we're talking about keeping ourselves pure, we don't have to jump very far to get into our physical health, do we? Does our health have anything to do with being pure in God's eyes? If so, that Taco Bell I ate the other night might not have been the best idea. And if that's the case, does that mean that my purity could also be determined by my physical health? If I don't check in at the gym, does my purity score go down in heaven? What about our mental health? We all know someone who goes about their lives each day in a constant state of stress. Physical health, emotional health, spiritual health, mental health. Do any of these things have anything to do with purity? Of course they do, or else I wouldn't have brought them up. Of course they do. To figure out how and why we're going to wrap all of those concepts into two primary categories... Um, heart and mind. And here's why. The way I see it, we make decisions about whether we are going to do something or not based on two influences, two primary influences. The first I classify as the mind. Now, a scientist among us might say our rational brain, but I just classify it as our mind. These are the things we know. We know, we, we, we have learned them, probably, possibly we have experienced them, or we have read books about the topics, um, possibly. Um, someone, some might even call it, it's our head knowledge. Generally speaking, though, I just call it our mind. These are the decisions that we base on reason and logic. We've thought it through. And we've decided 
that this decision is in our best interest. However, decisions made in this way with our minds, our minds, are not always good decisions, right? Because people make with their minds and convince themselves that having an affair is the best decision. They rationalize it and think through it. Um, they have merely influenced, they've been merely influenced by their rational thought process. Thereby, we find ourselves convinced that one decision is better than the rest of the options. So the second influencer, so we have our minds, the second influencer in my mind is that uh, we make decisions by what I like to call our heart. Some would say this is our, our um, if we have our response, our, I lost the word, instinctive response. The category encompasses the decisions we make based on our feelings or our instincts. Um, these are the decisions that we don't always make rational, they're, they're not always rational. We make them, it's a gut feeling. We just know we're supposed to do that. Oftentimes, as people of faith, this is where we feel inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is where God inspires us and tells us and talks to us and speaks to us and convinces our minds and our hearts. Often, that's where the Holy Spirit moves us. I'm not saying that God doesn't work in our brains too. I think that he does. But a lot of times, we feel God before we, uh, well, I can't say we understand God, but before we think we understand God. Now, to be clear, neither the decisions based on the influences of the heart or the mind are bad. They're not bad in and of themselves. What is unfortunate is when we, we live our lives using only one. So if we live a life only in our heart, using our heart for decisions, right? using our instincts, we neglect one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us, a rational mind, to be able to think through the situation. And if we... If we only use our minds and logic and reasoning, we miss the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be moved by the different ways that God can work in our lives. So, we have to have both. Hence what I said earlier about 18 inches between the head and the heart. We must strive for an active heart and an active mind. With that said, and with that as our basis for this morning, of reclaiming our purity through an understanding of having an active heart and an active mind, to truly reclaim the forgotten virtue, virtue of purity in our culture today, we must reclaim both the purity of our heart and the purity of our mind then we'll be able to live holy lives that God has called us to. And that's exactly what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, um, Paul says, God has called us to live holy lives. Holy lives, not impure lives. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. So what is Purity. Well, obviously, purity is in reference to being pure. But my mother would say, you can't define a word with a word. Right? To be pure means to be without blemish of any kind, like a white t-shirt is fully white, no stains, no discolorations, just white fabric. This is the standard we're called to strive for. And I say strive for intentionally because spiritual purity is something we, we have to work toward. 
It's a part of our process of spiritual growth. When we talk about spiritual purity, we need to remember that we are talking about things that God sees and not things that other people see. We often confuse that when we talk about spiritual purity. What God sees, not what everyone else sees. Everyone, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is, this is a prophetic thought that I had this week. Everyone has an opinion, and many are willing to share them. If you didn't know that, write that in your notes, because it might be helpful later. If you don't believe me, just ask the person who's sitting beside you what they think about your hair today. Test it out for yourself. See what they say. But when it comes to when it comes to purity in a spiritual sense and what it means to live a godly, a God-honoring life, everyone has an opinion of what that means. Everyone thinks they know what that means. And that opinion is often based on what that individual has either accepted or rejected in their own life as honoring or dishonoring of God. For instance, if one person has decided that heavy metal music dishonors God. As an example, not saying any of you would do that. But if one person has, has decided that heavy metal music dishonors God, and you roll up to church on Sunday blaring some five-finger death punch, they may be willing to share with you their opinion on your choice of music in reflection of your spiritual purity. Often we either hold people to our chosen standard of purity and we say, do it the way I do it. Assuming that we're pure. Or we hold each other to the ideal standard of purity. Even if we fail to achieve it ourselves. You can't do that. You need to act like this on this pedestal up here that I don't achieve, but I expect you to. Here's the thing is, it's not our job, it's not our place to define what the standard of purity is. God has already done that in his word. And it doesn't matter what you think being spiritually pure means. What matters is what God says being spiritually pure is. I'm going to say that again because that's a big point. It doesn't matter what you think being spiritually pure means. It matters what God says being spiritually pure is. And to help us with that, we're going to use some basic science models. Yes. Are you excited? I'm excited. I got to go through my old teaching supplies. In the created world, physical substances are composed of atoms, right? This common knowledge. And atoms are composed of three particles. What are they? Protons. Neutrons and electrons. Okay, extra bonus points. Those are composed of what? Starts with a Q. Quarks. Yes! Quarks. Quantum physics has found that those are now composed of quarks. Awesome. Extra points. As you most likely know, there are two categories of substances as classified in in science, there are pure substances and there are mixtures, right? You have homogeneous, homeoge oh no, what's the word? Homogeneous mixtures and heterogeneous mixtures, right? 
the salt and water science experiment, you know, and the, and the food coloring water experiment. Mixtures are combinations of two or more substances where chemical bonds or reactions take place. But don't take place, like trail mix. This is a good example. This is not trail mix. I didn't want to be that distracted. Um, trail mix is a good example of a mixture. A bunch of random things that are mixed together with no chemical bonds. You take one piece out, like me, take all the cashews out, and enjoy them. A mixture, depending on which kind it is. Pure substances are separated into two categories, compounds and elements. Compounds contain atoms of different elements that are chemically combined in a fixed ratio. And a very simple illustration of this would be one of these models here. Um, Okay, I know these are hard to see, so I'll, I'll, I'll do the walk and talk. Does any other science person know what this is? I even used the right color. H2O, one hydrogen, or no, one oxygen, two hydrogen. Water, right? Very, we all use it, we all understand it, but it's a fixed ratio of two to one. Pure substance, right? Especially if it's reverse osmosis. But what I really want to get us to is the element. That's where I want to focus this morning. Elements are composed of only one atom. Elements like hydrogen, which is used as a fuel source. Copper, which is used as an electrical conductor. Gold, which we are all aware of. Pure gold. Or the coveted and very valuable 100% pure carbon. This crystalline form, I ran out of carbon atoms, sorry. Which is? When someone proposes to you, you might get one in a ring. A diamond, pure carbon, right, is a diamond. Very valuable in our culture. In our lives, Sin is like an impurity, like, like an anonymous atom added to our chemical life. When we choose to step out of God's direction in our life, sin leaves purities within us. It's as though we start out as a diamond and sin enters our life and all of a sudden, there's just one little piece it's not quite right. And here's the thing with a, with a model like this that is just fascinating to me. A 99% carbon diamond looks almost exactly identical to a 100% carbon diamond, right? It's almost pure, but it's not. And the more elements, the more atoms that gets replaced by these, these um sins in our lives, these dishonoring things, the more pieces are replaced and the less and less it becomes what it was created to be and, and that diamond begins to cloud and, you know, if we're not careful, it becomes dark. We, maybe we turn into a lump of coal. Ho, ho, ho. Right? You get the point. Yes? 
But Scripture tells us that we don't have to continue to live with the blemishes of our sin. These don't have to stay in us. They don't have to stay in who we are because of what God has done for us. And I love what the prophet Isaiah says. Prophet Isaiah says in chapter 1, verse 18, come now, let, let's settle this. And I love that language. Let's, let's, let's just lay it on the table. Let's settle this whole matter right now, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, it's red, very hard to get out of a white t-shirt, right? Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Make no mistake, the impurities of our life leave a stain that does not wash away by any act of, of self-righteousness that we do. Once we've, been, once we've been changed by our sins, once we've been become impure because of something we did, not, there's nothing we can do to change that in God's eyes. Now, we can apologize and fix our situation here on earth, but remember, we're not talking about what it means between us. We're talking about what God sees in our lives. We're talking about God's vision. And there's no self-righteous act that we can do that can fix that. But God sent His Son, Jesus, to pay the price for us, to purify us, to remove the stains of our sin, freeing us to live pure and holy lives. 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22 says this, Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins. Okay, cleansed, washed, purified, made white as snow, white as wool, when you obeyed the truth. The truth, just said, was putting your faith and hope in God because he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. So now you must show sincere love to each other, brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your hearts. So there's a, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. Jesus came, died for your sins, rose from the dead, so that you could be purified, and if you believe in him, you will. And when that happens, you're expected to love one another. We are cleansed from our sins when we obey the truth, and it's through our faith in Christ that we're made clean and purified, made spotless, restored back to what God sees as that pure diamond and gives us an opportunity to live life in a new way. Having become pure through Christ, the question becomes, now what? What's next? What do we do with this purity? And Timothy, um, the kind of the apprentice of Paul, Paul writes to Timothy and says, if you keep yourselves pure, right? keep yourselves pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So, so Paul says... 
Timothy, keep yourselves pure. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Now that you're pure, keep yourself pure. Because of Jesus and his forgiveness in your life, you've been made pure. Keep yourself that way. Live a new way of life. And do that by pursuing righteous living, being faithful and loving and being peaceful with people. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes this morning is, is just lay out how we can put that into practice in our lives. And to begin, we're going to go back to those two primary influencers again, our head and our heart. Because if we're going to keep ourselves pure, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, we must begin with the influencers of our decision-making, our head and our heart. So, purity of mind. What does it mean to have purity of mind? Everyone's got an opinion, but let's look at it for a minute. Purity of mind is a very noble cause, although it's not very easy to accomplish. Things are very easy to say and often very hard to do, but for many, when faced with the awesomeness of God, and I don't know, maybe you found yourself like this. I know I have sometimes. When faced with the awesomeness of God, something amazing in your life, instead of saying, wow, we say, how? Maybe it's just me. Instead of being amazed by the awesomeness of God, we want to conceptualize and we need to know the facts. We don't care about the divine mystery. We care about the academic history. Finding the answers becomes more important than learning the lessons that God has for us in the moment. This is a learned trait, though. It's, it's what our culture has taught us to do. Ask questions. Make mistakes. Get dirty. Don't take anything at face value. Check on snoops. Everybody's got an angle. Don't trust anybody. Figure out what their motivation is. This is a learned trait. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. And hear this. By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Instead of following the behaviors and customs of the world, we're called to let God transform us. To let God transform us. Not to tell God to fix us, but to allow God to transform us in a very specific way, to let God transform the way we think. 
He says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. If we are going to live into a life with purity of mind, in a way that we honor God with our mind and what we do, we must allow God to transform our minds in the way we think. And that means we begin thinking differently than the rest of the world. So how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Guess what? Paul answered the question in Colossians 3, where he said, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at the right, God's right hand. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. Purity of mind begins by focusing our minds on God. I know, it's common sense, but it's true. Purity of mind begins by focusing our attention and our minds on God and the things of God. And one of the ways, one of the primary ways we do that is by being here, by, by attending worship. And I'm not trying to make a pitch for worship. It truly is because we come into this place with one specific intent, to let go of everything else in our lives and to connect with the divine. That's the purpose, one of the primary purposes of worship, because we intentionally step outside of ourselves and focus on the divine. And so if you want to grow in purity of mind, you have to make worship a priority in your life. Taking those times of intentional setting aside the rest of your life and focusing specifically just on God. And another way to purify your mind, and I say this a lot, and I hope I don't overdo it, but maybe I should, Stop reading books that tell you what the Bible says and start reading the Bible. Sometimes we're more interested in what popular authors say the Bible says or think the Bible says than we are about actually exploring God's Word and letting the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was with the original authors, is with us when we read it, and God communicates to our hearts and minds through the reading of the, His Word. And yet, we'll pick up a book that tells us what we should believe and leave the Bible closed. God can renew our minds as we read and meditate on His Word. And I didn't say seek answers in the Bible. Let the Bible form you. Go to the Bible for formation, not information. the Holy Spirit can move in your mind and transform the way you think if you let the Holy Spirit. So that's where to start. I mean, I could go on for hours about the different ways you can purify your mind, but there's two. Worship and reading your Bible. There's two. Start there. Purity of heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave a list of the blessed are the statements one of which was, blessed, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's, ama that's an amazing statement to me. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Getting your heart right with God is at the core of our spiritual purity. Without a heart centered on Christ. None of this really matters much at all. Whether we like it or not, the heart, the spiritual center 
our irrational mind, whatever you want to call it, the place in which the Holy Spirit of God resides, that, that spot of our being is the place where goodness emerges, but it's also the place where evil can take a foothold in our lives. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 15, from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And I believe this is why we find words like in Proverbs 4.23 that say, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. <clears throat> a corrupt heart leads to a corrupt life, and a, and a pure heart leads to a righteous life. And to grow in purity of heart, we have to grow in the areas that affect our heart, heart most. And in our culture today, I can think of nothing less toxic in our hearts than the toxicity that surrounds our time and our money. Time is one of the, is the, one of the only things that we have complete control over. And yet it's the one thing we refuse to control. We misplace our priorities and put work before family, family before personal faith, children before our spouses, co-workers before our family. And the misappropriation of time, it's a heart issue. If you think about it, it's not rational thought that makes us work late. It's not rational thought that makes us choose something else over our families or our faith. The misappropriation of time is a heart issue as we make decisions to forego the essentials in life from the gut. So to grow in purity of heart, we must set our priorities in a God-honoring manner. So our relationship with God has to come first, hands down. You can disagree with me, tell me after worship, tell me how wrong I am, but your relationship with God has to come first. If you're married... Your spouse comes second. I'll tell you why in just a minute. If you have children, your children come third. And if you're involved in the local church, your service to the church comes fourth. I'll tell you why now. If you fail at any of those in order, there's a cascading effect of failure. If you fail as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've failed at everything else. If you fail as a husband or wife, you're going to struggle as a parent and as a volunteer. Each one of those builds off of the other. And while we may want to put our kids before our spouse, and we may want to put our, our service before our own personal faith, God-honoring priorities are your relationship with Christ first. If you're married, your relationship with your spouse. If you have kids, your relationship with your kids, and then your relationship with your family, your church family. Grow in purity by setting your priorities straight.
money and the quest for it, the desire of it, and the hoarding of it becomes the master in many people's lives. And Jesus talked a lot about money in the Gospels. And we all know that we can't serve two masters, and yet we struggle with our possessions and our wealth. So purity of health, heart means a heart that is 100% focused on Christ. Remember the diamond, 100%. No anomalies. We grow in this area first by committing to give proportionally of our income, living sacrificially and making life not about our acquisition and our acquiring, but living out of our Christian calling and making generosity a mark of our discipleship, a mark of our spirituality. It's not easy. I didn't say that it was. But we can't serve two masters. So I challenge you to begin to reclaim your purity of heart and your purity of mind. Become elemental. Become elemental. Strive for 100%. All in for Jesus in your life. Be holy because God is holy. And as you do, you will find yourself experiencing God with renewed depth and vigor because Jesus himself said that God blesses those who have a pure heart and they will see him. God of all grace and love, we seek purity in our lives. We all have something hidden away. Some may be deeply hidden from the world, but we know, Lord, that nothing is hidden from you. So, Lord, together we pray that you would wash us clean, that you would forgive us for all the ways that we have sinned against you. Lord, we accept your Son, Jesus, as our Savior and are grateful for the sacrifice he has made for us on the cross. Lord, help us to grow in purity as we face the world around us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, that we pray. And everyone said,